Awesome. Thank you. Take a seat. Take a seat. As you're sitting down, why don't you turn to the person sitting next to you and just say, you're looking good. Looking good today. Christmas Christmas suits you. Do you guys like, oh, thank you, Akash. You can, I would keep you, but you know, we pay you by the minute. So, Who's enjoying our lights, by the way? Green and red, a hey, perfect Christmas lights. Very cool. Hey, so welcome to church. I, green, no, it was green and red, though, when it, when it was doing Christmas stuff. Don't worry. I'm not there. See? See, they can change. They can change. I'm not a liar. Um, very cool. I just realized when I was prepping this message that when I was going to speak it, which is today, it's five days until Christmas. Is anyone, anyone a little bit excited? Who here? Just, just I want to get a quick kind of feel on the room. Who's a bit of a Christmas kind of fanatic? Enjoy Christmas? Oh, man, we've got a bunch of Grinches. It should just be all green up there, eh? Who, who here would admit to being a Grinch? Who here's like, nah, don't like Christmas? Uh, who, who here's just kind of, eh, Christmas is all right, but really I just like the fact that I don't have to go to work for a little bit. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, we've got a mixed crowd, we've got a mixed crowd. I enjoy Christmas, right? Just straight up, I'll admit it, because you'll figure it out in about five seconds. I love, I love Christmas. Something about the, the, just the feeling of Christmas is, um, is real special to me. And, and at work, we've been uh, decorating our, our office Christmas style, right? I'm working for the government now, so we've got plenty of time to just decorate and, you know, that's not true. I do it in my lunch break, guys. But if you need to know how to make a paper snowflake, I am your man. I also made um, some scary looking snowmen, but that's a whole, we're not going to go there, not going to go there at all. But we're in a series at the moment. This is, this is actually our, our finale of this series, Emmanuel, right? The series, God with us. And I was thinking about this idea of Emmanuel over the, the last fortnight, really, since, since Jordan's been speaking on it. And, and the way that Jordan's been talking about it has been really, for me, I don't know about for you, been challenging just even the way I think about who Jesus is. Right, that the idea that, that actually Jesus is, is closer than I think, but Jesus is also bigger than I think. And, and I love the, the fact that as Christians, we always have to hold things in, in tension. You know what I mean? We always have to hold the fact that, that Jesus is bigger and more powerful than we could ever imagine. But at the same time, he wants to be closer and more intimate with us than maybe we're even comfortable with. And, and so I started thinking about this idea of, of Emmanuel, God is with us. Right? And I started thinking about it kind of more literally. Obviously, God is with us, and obviously, God is, is with us here, and, and, and God is with us wherever we go if we choose to have Him with us. But I started thinking, and I started dreaming, you know, what would it be like to have a time machine? It's obviously like a, you know, next step, logical step, eh? What would it be like? What would it be like to go back in time to when Jesus was not just with us, but literally like standing next to you like, hey, Jesus, I can smell your sandals kind of with us? Right? What would it be like to, to walk the earth with Jesus? What would it be like to see Jesus with skin on? Jesus here fully human, to see him walk, to, to hear him talk. What, what did his voice sound like? Right? Was Jesus like, hey, I'm Jesus? Or was Jesus like, hey guys, I'm Jesus? Like, or was he somewhere in the middle? Right? What, what, did, what did Jesus sound like? What, what was the deal with the sun? Right? Because he had such fair skin. How did he avoid getting sunburnt? And how did he keep, keep his clothes so white all the time? Right, where did he get his bleach from? That's a that's a joke. That's all right, back to the notes. Right? But but and I was like, man, it would be amazing to, to go back and to be with Jesus in that time, right? To to walk with him, to talk with him, to see what he was he was doing. And then I remembered that there was no running water and there was no flushing toilets and there was no sneakers and there was no coffee. And I was like, I'm all right with being here, to be honest. But but I started thinking about what what would you ask Jesus? Right, we can ask Jesus anything at any time, but it would be different if he was there in front of you with, with skin on, right? What would you ask him if he was right in front of you person to person? What would it be like to see, 
to, to see Jesus do the things that he did. Right? If, if you're taking notes this morning, I've, I've titled this sermon, Jesus Walks. Does anyone know that song? I just found the gangsters in the room. Jesus Walks by Kanye West. It's a fantastic song. I listened to it a lot while I was writing this. But maybe you shouldn't listen to it because I'm not advocating to listen to Kanye West. Why don't you bow your heads with me and we're going to pray. Yeah. Cool. Nice. God, I thank you that, um, that we get to gather here together on a Sunday that we get to, uh, to join together and to, to lean into what it is that you're saying. God, I pray that as I'm preaching, it wouldn't be uh, my words, it wouldn't be my ideas, but that somewhere between uh, me speaking and, and us receiving it, God, that you would change those words, that, that what you want to say would be clear, that, that what you want to give to us this morning would come to the front, God. We thank you for the, the honor and the privilege it is to, to call ourselves your, your, your followers, to call ourselves your children, and to live in a nation where we can so openly celebrate who you are. God, we pray that we would leave here different, God, that we would leave here encouraged, that we would leave here, um, yeah, just, just built up, but we would also leave here challenged, God. Thank you that you're with us. Amen. One, one of the things I find hardest about being a Christian, uh, if we're being honest, safe space, yeah, I can be honest, is evangelism. Right? I don't know about you guys, but one of the things that, that I, I find hardest is I'm, I'm one of those uh, apologetic Christians, Right, who, who, when I'm walking down the street and I see someone handing out something, I cringe even before I know what they're handing out. Right, they could be handing out flyers to BK, but in the back of my mind is, is that a Christian? And are they handing out some sort of tract? Right, I, I'm the type of person who, who I walk down the street and I'll be walking down the street with Emma, that's my wife, if, if you haven't met her. Right, and I will be walking down the street and there'll be someone doing like the turn or burn kind of thing over there, and she'll have to kind of restrain me from going over to them and telling them, you know, a few things of what I think of them. Right, and, and, and I'm, I'm one of those Christians that it, it just, I've been hurt by 90s evangelism. Does anyone remember the 90s evangelism kind of era? Does anyone ever, anyone ever went on, out on an evangelism night? You know, you, you got in the cars and you were like, guys, you got 20 tracts each. A tract, right? For those of you who don't know, they're, uh, they're like a little nice piece of paper with the whole gospel spelled out in like, 10 or so sentences, because that's totally possible, right? And we give them to people, and we hope that by giving them to them without really saying anything to them, something's going to change in their life, and they'll become a Christian like that, which has happened, right? Definitely has happened. Let's not knock tracks, right? There have been people's lives who've been changed. But at the same time, there's also been quite a few people's lives who've been uh, significantly scarred by Christian 90s evangelism nights, Right, and, and, and so this, this idea of evangelism, this idea of tracts, it, it makes me uncomfortable. This idea of, of, of a piece of paper that says, dear, insert name here, did you know that you're living a life of debauchery and pain? Right, dear, insert name here. And, and, and then we follow up after insulting a perfect stranger with a statement like, I believe that God wants to touch you. And they're like, really? Where? Is he going to ask my permission first? Is he going to take me out to dinner? Right? We start to speak this Christianese, this complete and utter language to people that don't understand it at all. Right? And, and so when I, when, I, when I walk past these people, I get uncomfortable. But for all the joking, I think it would be fair to say that, that we here at Equippers Church Wellington, we want to see our friends and family meet God. Right? That we're here and we want to see them find a, a hope and a purpose. We want them to encounter this, this life-changing love. And at the same time, I often feel like I'm not reaching out enough. Right, that, that I'm not reaching out to my friends and family the way that I should be. That as much as I feel embarrassed about what they are doing, maybe sometimes I'm feeling embarrassed that they're standing on a street corner because even though what I think they're doing is, is kind of silly, maybe it's still more than what I'm doing. 
right? Because this is a big deal. This is a big deal, and we can kind of put it under the carpet, and we can, we can kind of convince ourselves that it's, it's just a small thing, but this is serious, because I wholeheartedly believe that the world desperately needs Jesus, right? We at Equippers Church Wellington, we know that everyone has a part to play in changing Wellington, right? But we, we also know that at the moment, there are a whole lot of people who are changing Wellington in a way that it needs to not be changed, Right, that there is an opportunity to bring hope and to bring life and to bring love into the city, but there is also an abundance of opportunities to pull people down, to degrade others, to, to make money and, and power off of other people's pain. Right, and, and we're here in the middle of this, in this festive season of Christmas. Who's feeling joyful, right? And, and, and we have an opportunity. See, Christmas is less than, than a week away, and perhaps this is our greatest opportunity. So, how do we do it? Right, what do we do? How do we reach out? Wouldn't it be great to see Jesus evangelizing? Right, like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing? You'd be like, how do, I, how do I evangelize? I'll just watch Jesus do it, and I'll do the same thing. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be handy, seeing him reaching out to people in doubt? How would Jesus have reached out? What, what tract would Jesus have used, right? Turn with me to, to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And the way that I see this, this collection of verses, this story, is, is this is the story of Jesus reaching out to others, right? This is as close as we can get to seeing how would Jesus evangelize. Can we chuck it up on the screen? We've got the capability, we've got the power. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, message version. Kapow! I lost my powers. That's all right. Turn with me uh, to it if you've got your Bible with you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, actually, uh, Christmas is five days away. So, you know, good present idea, just... Jot that down in the back of memory. Mum's asking you what you want. Mum, I want a Bible. There you go. Sorted. Uh, but it goes like this. This is Jesus. Uh, and a little bit of backstory. This is Jesus. He's just returned from the dead, right? This is resurrected Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. His disciples think it's all over. They think it's all gone. Game over. They lost. And Jesus returns, right? And we're going to pick up at verse 13. There we go. It says this. That same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that had happened. That's the whole Jesus dying thing. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? Jesus said, What has happened? They said, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened, it being his death. But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and they couldn't find his body. They came back with stories that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the woman said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all the prophets said? Don't you see these things had had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? 
Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed, and he acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him, stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went with them. And here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? They didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and their friends gathered together talking away. It's really happened. The master has risen up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. Right, it's a cool story. This idea of Jesus having come back from the dead, just deciding to appear on the road with with two people who we don't really know who they are, walking with them, talking with them, changing their lives, right? It's a good picture into what would Jesus do if he was to reach out to others? What would Jesus do if Emmanuel, God with us, how would we reach out if we reached out like Jesus did? Right, this morning I just want to really quickly want to cover four points, four ideas of how Jesus reached out. First of all, we need to understand that they're walking to Emmaus, right? A fairly long way away, about seven miles, which is almost 12 kilometers. And Jesus comes up to them, which is, which is pretty astounding, right? This is the resurrected Jesus, right? You'd think that he'd have other things to do. But here he is on the road with these two guys. See, my first point, if you're taking notes, is Jesus came to them. Right? When we sit down at the Christmas table, and we have the chance to, to chat to our cousins and our friends and, and maybe our strange uncles about Jesus, about Christmas, about what we think is the reason for the season. Let's not forget that at the core of this thing that we're doing is Jesus stepping out of heaven for us, right? That Jesus came to us. We, we didn't earn his love and we need to not imply that we did or that we're capable to. Right, but it's so easy when we're at that Christmas table, when, when we're surrounded by our friends and our family, to, to, to want to make ourselves look a little bit good. Right, to, to want to kind of gloss over the, 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 the maybe flaws in our personalities. To maybe want to pretend that our job pays a little bit more than it does. That, that maybe we're a little bit more well-respected in our community than we really are. That maybe we don't fight at all with our, our kids or our spouse or our friends. That we're perfect. Because we're Christians, right? And then it's Christmas. And we're talking about Jesus, the one time in the year we do. So, so we need to look good, right? We need to look flawless to our friends and family. But because we want them to think that Jesus didn't come to us, we went to Jesus. We earned his love. We, we made him love us. But no one's going to come to a Jesus who they think they have to impress, right? If at Christmas we have the opportunity to share what we're about, to share our faith, we need to realize that we need to be honest with the fact that Jesus came to us. Christmas is not a time to boast or to once again put on the the facade of perfection for the Christmas newsletter, right? We need to be abundantly clear. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19, we loved because he first loved us. This is how it works. We are not perfect, and pretending that we are is prohibitive to our friends and family finding Jesus. See, the church is only strong because Jesus is at the center. We need to be all about our faith in Him and Him coming to us. Right, so, so there they are. Jesus comes to them on the road to Emmaus, but, but who are they? 
right? It's Cleopas and his unnamed friend. That's how important the other guy is. He doesn't get a name. The writers of the Bible were like, do people need to know who he is? Nah, it'll be fine. No, no one cares. Right, so here Jesus is, and he appears to two nobodies. Right, these people, they're not A-list Bible characters. This isn't a David. This isn't a Moses. They're not going to go on to slay a giant or lead a people. This is the only time they're mentioned, and yet Jesus appears to them. Right, see, what this tells us is we haven't read the book of Cleopas. Right? We, we, we don't remember the large church that his unnamed friend planted, the, the important political figures that they went on to be. They're not A-list biblical characters. Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's spending time with them. See, why is Jesus talking to nobodies? Because to Jesus, everybody is somebody. See, this Christmas, we need to remember that, that those people that maybe we really don't want to spend time with, that weird aunt, that weird uncle, maybe those people that, that we like them, but, but we don't think that there's any point in sharing our faith with them. No, no, they're shut off. No, there's no point talking to them about what I believe. They're just not going to hear it. I tried it last Christmas. I tried it the Christmas before that. They just made me cry, right? They ripped into me. They, they spoke about things I didn't understand. They, they just shouted at me a whole lot. Someone poured eggnog over my head. It was, I'm not going to do it again, right? But maybe it's those people. Maybe those people are our clear pisses. Maybe those people are our unnamed friends. People that to us seem insignificant or too hard or too far away. Jesus goes to them. See, Jesus doesn't just pop in on them. Right? He doesn't just appear for 10 seconds and be like, peace be with you. Gone. He, he appears with them and he walks with them. Potentially for the entire seven miles, 12 kilometers, he spends some real time with them. Right? See, Jesus is, is here and he's not excluding anyone. He's not choosing who he's going to talk to and who he's not going to talk to. Who's, who's ready and ripe for the picking and who's too hard. Jesus goes to everyone. This Christmas, who are we potentially excluding? Who are we potentially not inviting over for Christmas? Who are we potentially going to try and sit as far away from the table? Maybe we have one of those awkward families where someone made a mistake once and because of that, people don't talk to each other anymore. Right, where can we be Jesus in that situation, appearing and walking for a while with the people that maybe we don't want to walk with, the people that maybe seem too far away or too hard? For whatever reason, we think they won't respond, they won't want to hear this. See, who are we deciding for when we should give the opportunity? I think often, often I hear no's from me more than I do anyone else, right? Too often I answer for people, no, no, I'm not going to invite them to church, they won't want to come. I'm not going to tell them about what I did on Sunday. They won't want to hear it. I'm not going to share my faith. I'm not going to share my, my hurts and my journey. I'm not going to share my doubts and my successes because they just don't care. The most no's I ever hear are from me. Maybe I should give them the opportunity. And yes, maybe they'll say no. Maybe they'll shut me down. But I at least, they deserve that I give them the opportunity. See, Jesus spends time with two people who don't go on to make any recorded massive differences because to Jesus, people matter most. Everyone is worth the time. Everyone is worth sitting down with. Everyone is worth walking with. Who this Christmas do we see that no one else is caring about? No one else is lifting up. No one else is encouraging that we can say, actually, I see you and you matter. I see you and I love you. See, Christmas, as Jordan said, is often a time for family, right? But who is around us that doesn't have any family? Who is around us that Christmas is a horrible time for, that, that Christmas is a hurting time for? Who can we invite into our homes? Who can we include in what we're doing? 
See, Jesus is walking next to them. And then he launches into this, this pre-made speech on heaven and hell, right? He, he launches into this eternity, smoking or non-smoking, right? He, he hits them over the head with the Bible. That's what he does, yeah? They, they're walking along and, and, and they're like, yeah, no, no. And he's like, repent. No, no, he asks them. He asks them, why are you sad? What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? What has happened? Jesus asks questions. That's my third point. First point, Jesus came to them. Second point, Jesus talked to nobodies. Third point, Jesus asks questions. And let's just stop for a moment, right? Was Jesus ill-informed? Right? Was he asking questions because he didn't know what had happened? Was he asking questions about the fact that they were walking along, talking about the fact that he had just died because he'd forgotten? He's like, what happened? Oh, Jesus died. He did? Oh, that's why there's holes are in my hands. And the, the hole in my side, that explains a lot. I knew I had a headache for a reason. Right? He's not asking them questions to find out information. He's not asking them questions to, to become informed. It just happened to him. They are talking about his death. He was there. Not only that, but this is the resurrected Jesus and his divinity. How likely is it that Jesus doesn't know everything? Even if they were talking about something that he had nothing to do with, Jesus would have known what it was. Jesus knows he's listening when he already knows, so he's not listening for information. He's not listening to understand. He's listening because he cares. Jesus doesn't instantly launch into a monologue. Later on, he shares with them, yes, but first he listens. First, he asks questions. How often do we monologue at people? Right? We, we sit down at, at the Christmas table and, and we bring out our one-size-fits-all, here's my testimony. Testimonies are great. Right? Testimonies are, are fantastic. There's nothing wrong with sharing your story, but we need to realize that it's sharing, not telling. Right, that it's letting people be a part of it, partake in it, ask questions, being open and vulnerable with them, not just coming forward and being like, well, Aunt Verna, you want to know why I believe in Jesus? <gasps> Go. Right, no, Aunt Verna, don't talk. My time. I'm holding the speaking stick. Right, it's not a chance to monologue at people. We are not TV sets. Too often, we as Christians don't listen. We just wait for our turn to talk. Have you ever had a conversation with one of those people? You know, and you, you can tell you're talking to them and their eyes glaze over because they're just waiting for your breath so they can talk. How often as Christians are we that? At the Christmas table, there's our aunt who's, who's really struggling with what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to have this faith and this, this thing bigger than her? And, and all we want to do is just, yeah, no, oh, you're hurting. No, no, hear my story. Oh, you're struggling with this, hear my story. You've got a question, hear my story. Why are we not dialoguing with them? We're monologuing. Jesus does talk, but what he says is received, potentially because first he listened. But then Jesus does also go on to say, so thick-headed, slow, so, so slow-hearted, right? Which I think you can say if you're Jesus, right? Maybe we won't try out the so thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Maybe try it a little bit differently. If you think you can say it as Jesus said it, give it a go, but I'm not going to, right? It's, it's a dialogue. Do they have anything to teach Jesus? Do they have anything to, to impart to him? No. So why the conversation? Look at how much of that exchange in, in Luke 24 is them talking. Right? Jesus knows. Jesus has the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus still cares, and Jesus still listens. This Christmas, will we listen? 
sometimes we just need to let people talk, even when they're wrong, which is something that's hard for me. Or I hear something that's wrong, I'm like, no, wrong, I've got the answer. Shut up, my turn. Right, but maybe the answer is actually listening first. Maybe we've, we've got this present, this gift. I remember Jordan gave a sermon last year that we've got this amazing gift of Jesus, but so often we wrap it in something so ugly no one wants it. Right, have we got this gift that we should be giving to them, but because we've wrapped it in the wrong paper of judgment or, 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 of, or of not listening to them or of not caring or of indifference, they don't want the amazing thing we have for them because we've wrapped it poorly. Right, see, what this Christmas, when, when, when crazy Aunt Carol is, is telling you why she hates God, maybe first we listen. Maybe first we care. Maybe first we validate, not necessarily agreeing with them, but saying, I hear what you're saying. I'm sorry that happened. Wow, that must hurt. That must be really hard. And then we can go on to give what we feel is the correction. Then we can go on to have, have our response, our dialogue with them. But once we've validated them, once they're ready to listen, so sometimes we need to just let people talk. See, they were wrong. They were telling Jesus how he failed. He was pretty sure that he hadn't failed. They're resurrected from the dead, having defeated death. They were talking about how he had died, right? He had the answer. He knew. He could have been like, ah, oh, no, hold in the hand, right? But, but he hid who he was from them so that they could talk, so that they could pour out their hearts, their doubts, their, their insecurities, their pains, so that then he could have a dialogue with them, so that they could be understood. And then he corrected them. But first, he let them vent and he listened. If Jesus can listen, so can we. So here Jesus is, right? He's approached two strangers, asked them questions, walked with them, corrected them. And what is their response? Right? What do they do? Are they like, um, excuse me, stranger on the road who's telling us that everything we think is wrong, can you please go away? No, Jesus makes as if he's going to keep on going to the next town. They get to their stop and he's like, all right, I'll see you guys later. Peace out. Nice walking with you, right? And they say to him, they came to the edge of the village where they were headed. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they pressed him, stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. See, my fourth and final point is they want Jesus to stay. Jesus interacts with them in such a way that they want him to stay around. They want him to stick around. Jesus has been such great company, so wise, so loving, so interested in them that they want him to stay. In my imagination, this is a little bit weird because I'm a guy and, and they're guys, I think. I don't remember it ever designating the, the gender of his unnamed friend, but you know, I'm imagining it's two dudes walking along. And, and to them, Jesus is a stranger you've just met on the road. Right, you've been walking with them for, for at max 12 kilometers, which isn't a super long time, unless you're walking really slow. Right? And, and no matter how good the conversation is, the guy, he, they just met him. Right? I, I can't imagine getting on a bus, sitting next to a dude and talking to him for a half an hour, and then him inviting me to come sleep over. Because this is what's happening. Right? That the dude you just met on the train ride, the dude you just met on the bus is saying, hey, what are you doing tonight? Come over to my house. Right, let, let's hang out a little bit longer. Can, can you see it, right? Jesus is like, oh, okay, I guess I'll, I'll see you later. Right, good walking. And they're like, oh, wait, wait. Cleopas is like, wait, Jesus. Jesus is like, yes. He's like, you want to have a sleepover? Right, you want to come back to, to my house? We'll eat some falafel. We'll some hummus. Right, just, let's just, just chill a little bit longer. You must be tired. You're tired? You're tired. You're tired. Come, Jesus. 
Right, see, here it is. It says in the New King James Version, this is amazing. The New King James Version says that they constrained him. That potentially implying that they so badly wanted him to stay that they grabbed him. Right, that they, that they physically grabbed him. Like, no, dude, stay. Like, stay. Jesus, just stay. Can you imagine kidnapping Jesus? Right, that's why they're in the Bible. They're the guys that kidnapped Jesus. Right, but here they are, and they're kidnapping Jesus. How often for us is it the other way around? Right, we think that we need to kidnap people to force them to Jesus. Right, we think that we need, to, we need to constrain them, to lay hands on them, to kidnap people, to get them into church. Do we have faith to believe that God is big enough and that we just have to be on the journey with people and obedient to God prompting us? That we have to not trick and goad and sneak to get the dirty heathens in the door? Right, growing up, my teenage mantra was flirt to convert, and I did not understand what I was, what I was really saying. It was a great excuse. Jono, what are you doing? Flirting to convert. Stop talking to that girl. Flirting to convert, right? Bad. But how often is that us, right? Trying to do the old bait and switch. Come to church, come to church, come to church. Ha, you're here. You have to sit through the sermon. Right, I've got you here now. Right, it's not a bait and switch. Jesus is such a person that others want to constrain him. We are introducing people to a God that people want to kidnap and take home with him because he is so amazing, because he is so loving, because he changes their hearts in a moment so much. How often does our evangelism, our reaching out, result in non-Christian friends and family compelling us to stay? Do we talk to them in such a way? Do we love on them in such a way that they constrain us to remain? Asking if they can come to church. Right? When was the last time someone said to you, do you go to church on Sunday? Can I come? When was the last time someone said that to me? Right? But here, this is what they're asking Jesus. But it's also important that we realize that, that Jesus sits with them. He goes to where they are. He sits at their table in their home. Maybe we're waiting for someone to come to our table, in our home, where we're comfortable. Because their tables can be uncomfortable. Their tables can be dirty. Their tables can have other people at the table that we don't want to be seen at the table with those people. Right? That, that we don't want to be associated with, with, with that group or that culture or those people. No, no, we've got to, we're Christians, stay away. Right? But Jesus goes to their table, and he's seen at their table. He doesn't care if people think that he's worse for it, if people judge him for it, if, if their table is dirty or unfashionable. Jesus goes to their table. Maybe part of people constraining us, people coming to us, people feeling compelled to ask us, what is it you have, is that we go to them, not to kidnap them, to bundle them into church, but we go to them to love on them. We sit at their table and we're with them, not judging them, but hearing them, building them up, encouraging them. That when they think of Christianity, they would think of you and they would think of someone who loves them, not someone who judges them, not, not what they might hear on the news, not the extreme fringes or what the media might say, this is what Christianity is, but that your love is so much bigger than any of those ideas that it overpowers them. And they think, I think of Christianity and I think of Jono, who is always encouraging me. I think of Christianity and I think of Jono who is always going the extra mile for me. I think of Christianity and I think of Jono who is open and honest and vulnerable with me, who says, look, I'm human. Jesus came to me. I couldn't make it to him, but Jesus came to me and he loves me so much. And I think of Christianity and it seems attractive. 
It seems like a place that I would like to go. As I finish, as I get the band up, the, the overall metaphor here is amazing, isn't it? That Jesus meets these people while they are walking, while they are doing life on their way somewhere else. Jesus isn't the reason for where they're going. Jesus isn't the reason for their walk. He's just a side note. He comes along and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, ask to be the main act straight away. He comes along and meets them where they are. The reason their hearts are beating in their chest encounters them, right? The reason that they are alive, the reason that they are held together on their way somewhere else comparatively super insignificant, on their way to somewhere comparatively just nothing compared to the person who is next to them, the creator of the heavens and the earth, right? That Jesus is right there. And Jesus doesn't make them stop. Jesus doesn't make them listen and pay attention. Jesus moves with them. Jesus journeys. Jesus walks. You know, I was inspired a couple of weeks ago. Alistair was talking about red frogs. We went over to, to schoolies on the Gold Coast, which is just one massive party. And these guys go, this bunch of Christians go, and, and they're there just to serve people. And, and, and what struck me is that a lot of what red frogs do is just walking with people. Literally sometimes, walking drunk people home to make sure they don't fall into the ocean or get assaulted and then holding their hair back as they vomit, right? Putting them in the recovery position. There's no sharing the gospel there. There's not an opportunity when someone is combed on the floor to be like, did you know Jesus loves you? You just have to walk with them. And yet in that space, people's hearts are changed. In that space, they saw people come to God then. But I assure you, there will be many more who in years to come will say, you know, the, the time that I realized that I was loved for something more than, than my physical attractiveness or, or for more than my power or my intellect was when Alistair held my hair backwards while I was vomiting in a toilet. He wasn't getting paid. He was paying to be there. And all because he thought that there was a God who loved me. But red frogs is just people walking with people, Christians walking with people on their way somewhere else just to get a word in edgeways. Did you know Jesus loves you? Did you know that you're worth more than you think? So here we are. Jesus is in their house, sitting at their table, about to eat a meal. Verse 31. So he went in with them, and here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking the bread. He blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him, and then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the Scriptures for us? Another translation says, did not our hearts burn within us? See, only Jesus burns hearts. We can't burn hearts. We can't make people believe. We can't force them into faith. We can only plant the seed that leads to an ember. We are not saviors. We are sowers. See, we just need to get the word out, the seed out. Is this how we reach out to our friends? Knowing that no matter what we do or say, it's Jesus that saves people, not us. Right? I can sell. I'm a salesperson, I'm a salesman at heart, but if I sell someone into salvation, it's only a matter of time before someone else sells them out, right? It's only a matter of time before someone else presents a more compelling argument or, or more uh, attractive data or, or comes along with an easier road in front of them and they jump off the boat that I convinced them onto. That's not the way that we change the world. This has to be a decision that is a result of a heart set aflame. Do we know what we're working with? 
If we realize that the gospel is is so strong, that this news is so good, that we aren't called to convince or beguile, trick or treat or flirt to convert, if we realize that we are called to be light, to shine, that we're called to to be salt, to season, to be the change that Wellington needs to follow Jesus' example, that that Jesus sat, that they wanted him to stay, his outreach was, was so pleasant for them that they didn't want it to stop. How often do we attempt to deliver truth without love? Right, love is sacrifice. Maybe sacrificing our need to preach, our need to be right, our need to judge them, instead just loving them and letting the truth come out when it's ready, when they're receptive. There's no point in throwing it at them if it's just gonna bounce off. Jesus asked questions, not for, not for information, but because he cared. He wanted to know what they were talking about, how they felt, and he wanted to give them an opportunity to express it. Jesus walked with nobodies. People who weren't what what others would call a high priority. Or maybe today we'd say they're not open to the gospel. People that it didn't make sense to be reaching out to. And, And finally, Jesus came to them. The center of our evangelism, the center of our lives has to be Jesus. That might mean acknowledging your humanity, but it doesn't mean glorifying it. That, that, that might mean losing the excuse, I'm, I'm, I'm not together enough yet because you're not saving them. It might mean losing the excuse, I don't have the words because we're not selling them anything. See, church, we have an amazing opportunity right now. Literally, I think the best opportunity we will have all year. Right, it's Christmas time. People are open to this idea of who is Jesus. I was amazed. I was at work the other day and we were playing carols and I was like, people are singing about Jesus in my workplace right now. I am surrounded by non-Christians singing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. I'm surrounded by Christians singing, holy night. I'm surrounded by Christians singing glorious. They are worshiping God right now in this moment and they don't know it. We are surrounded by this opportunity. People have opened themselves to the gospel sometimes without realizing it. What are we gonna do? What will we do in this moment? But, but don't leave here feeling low. Don't leave here feeling, man, I, I haven't saved my friend or I, I haven't made my family member meet Jesus yet because we can't save anyone. That's God's work, but we can keep on loving them. We can keep on walking with them. And I believe if we would just keep walking, keep loving, keep being open and honest and involving Jesus in every step, if we don't shy away from walking and sitting and asking, if we stop thinking that we are saviors and that we have to do all of the heavy lifting and therefore that it's all on us, if we just realize that all we are called to do is what Jesus did to walk with them, to love them, to sit with them, to care, and to give the truth when it's ready in such a way that they receive it, it will happen. See, I think the division of evangelist and not is one of the most destructive divisions to ever enter into the church. We are all called to share the gospel. Sure, there are people who are better at holding microphones and telling funny jokes and great analogies and making you feel like you're gonna cry, but we are all evangelists. And sometimes, most of the time, the most powerful thing is not the person with the microphone telling the funny stories. It's the friend with the hand on the shoulder. It's the friend with the open heart. It's the friend who is gentle and and, and transparent and vulnerable enough to say, here I am, here's my humanity, here is my caring for you. Would you like to come with me to church? See, Equipers Church, Wellington, I wholeheartedly believe that we have an opportunity, that people are open to the gospel and that Jesus walks 
And all we need to do is to walk with Him, with them. See, in a minute, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to finish with a carol. But before I do, some of you, when you walked in, got one of these. Right, this is a, an invitation to our Christmas Eve service on Thursday, this coming Thursday, the 24th, 6 p.m., right here. As we left, what, what would happen if we all picked up five? Five invitations to this Christmas Eve service. And we didn't think that we had to sell it to someone. We didn't think that we had to convince them to come, but we walked alongside people for the next three or four days and we said, hey, my church is doing this thing on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, you've got to be in church. It's tradition. Why don't you come along? Why don't you come along and enjoy it? We're going to sing some Christmas carols. We'll eat some food. This really attractive, really funny, amazing guy is going to speak. You probably don't have to say that. You, you, oh, I thought it was Jordan's. That's me. I forgot. Right, but, but what would happen if we took this invitation and we just gave it out to five of our friends or family? Maybe you want to take 10. Maybe you want to take 15. But, but what would happen if we actually sowed some seeds? If we stopped thinking that we had to be the saviors and we just presented them with an opportunity today, maybe just this week, let's stop saying no on others' behalf and just ask them. Just do it for one week of the year. Let's see what happens. But maybe this is how we change Wellington. Maybe the greatest gift that we can give to our friends or family this year is the opportunity to meet with the person who gives them a reason for life. Why don't you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you that you walk with us that we have the opportunity to move with you, that, that you walk alongside us, that you encourage us, that you build us up, that you, that you care, that you ask us questions, that you journey with us. And God, I pray this week that we would be bold enough to journey with others, that we would take this opportunity, that we would take these invitations and we would give them to our friends and our family, those who we might think are Cleopas's, those who we might think are, are not worth asking because they're gonna say no, that we would just extend an invitation and that on Christmas Eve, we would see a miracle, that we would see you change hearts, that we would see you reunite with people who have been long separated from you, that you would love on us, that you would love on them, that we know that we are called to make a difference in the city, that we are called to change the world, and that this week we would be bold enough to step out in who it is you've said we're meant to be. Thank you, God, that you walk with us. Amen.